Hey, you guys, it's me, Yvonne, host of The Gaggle. Out of an abundance of caution, almost everyone in our newsroom will be working from home for the next few weeks. That means we're away from our studio and our usual recording equipment. So you might notice that our podcast sounds a little bit different because of that. But it isn't stopping us. We'll still be bringing you new episodes every week. Thanks so much for listening. Everything is different now. It is disorienting and surreal to remember where we were just a week ago and to see where we are now and to imagine where we might be a week from today. The news these days can be overwhelming. Well, we just passed a really, really grim milestone. We had yesterday the largest increase in a single day in the number of deaths here in Italy. Right now, they are preparing to treat people in tents because we don't have enough beds. That we expect doctors to have to make heartbreaking decisions about who gets a heart ventilator and who doesn't. And the action or inaction of our local and federal governments could impact us for months to come. With all 50 states now reporting cases of the coronavirus, President Trump is invoking a federal provision to marshal resources to combat the growing health crisis. But the reaction from state and local governments across the country has varied. Some have chosen to confront this as a public health crisis, no matter the economic repercussions. Others are more conservative about taking actions that could hurt the economy or limit personal liberties. There's a feeling like it's a death sentence. Stocks are plummeting, streets are empty, businesses are bare, and hundreds of Arizonans are without a job. Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about the political reaction to coronavirus and the disease it causes, COVID-19. First, we'll break down how the state of Arizona has handled the crisis. We'll look at the steps taken by Governor Doug Ducey and his administration. Is a very real situation in Arizona, and like I said, it is my top priority. It's my team's top priority. We'll also look at how the state legislature has responded. Then we'll jump to the national stage. How's our federal government responded? How have our congressional leaders reacted? And what long-term changes, if any, could this outbreak bring to our everyday lives? Joining us remotely are state government and politics reporters Maria Paletta and Andrew Oxford. Maria, let's start with Governor Doug Ducey and the response to coronavirus from his administration. Um, Things continue to change pretty quickly, but give us a sense of what the governor has done to this point. One of the first things he did was to declare a state of emergency that freed up some money and other resources to help the state fight the virus. He also helped fast track a $55 million allocation to the state health department. This is about public health and protecting lives, especially those of our elderly and most vulnerable. He shut down schools after quite a bit of pressure from parents and the community. This decision is not made lightly. But it's the right thing to do to bring certainty and consistency to all Arizona schools. 
Um, he also urged people to postpone or cancel events with more than 50 people eventually. We're going to ask people to act responsibly and as necessary, we'll make different decisions. And then after a lot of back and forth, he announced that he'd limit restaurant services to take out and drive through only and close bars and theaters and gyms. Now, that order applies only to counties with confirmed cases, though it's expected to eventually cover the whole state as testing gets better and expands. He's also shut down in recent days elective surgeries to free up medical resources, brought in the National Guard to help with logistics for groceries and food banks, and is requiring commercial labs to provide more data on their tests. He also issued an executive order outlining what he considers a quote, quote, essential service. We've seen those uh, services needing to be defined in other states that have issued shelter in place orders. The governor here said that Arizona isn't there yet in terms of a stay at home policy, but that it was a proactive measure in case we did get to that point. Despite what the governor's done, he's taken quite a bit of criticism so far from folks who say he was just too slow to respond to this pandemic. Others say his actions came well after other states pursued more stringent, more aggressive responses. In fact, for the first time in recent memory, at least, Democratic Senator Kirsten Sinema, who is known for her very moderate bipartisan ways, has really gone on the attack publicly saying that the governor's inaction compared to that of others will lead to more deaths. So we have two major problems right now. One is that Arizona is not taking action to follow the guidelines from the White House and the Centers for Disease Control. And by choosing not to enforce these guidelines, we are not reducing the spread of the virus, which means the spread will go farther. It will be more devastating for our state, and it will increase the loss of lives. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that our healthcare system doesn't have all the tools and resources it needs to meet this coming pandemic. Maria, what is the governor's reaction to such criticism? Throughout the pandemic, Governor Ducey has said repeatedly that he's balancing taking the virus really seriously, making it a top uh, public health priority with not being alarmist and not causing people to panic or panic himself. He says over and over that he's guided by um, recommendations from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, his local public experts. He has daily calls with them and meetings. He also has emphasized that he is focused on Arizona's specific situations. So he keeps saying, you know, we're not New York, we're not California. I need to do what makes sense right now for Arizona. Do we know, though, why he's been reticent to act on some of the recommendations? The governor, who obviously is a former ice cream CEO, has a reputation for being very pro-business and restrictions on mass gatherings, shutting down bars, you know, limiting restaurants to dine in only and these other shutdowns and closures. Those have a big impact on businesses, both in terms of small business owners and all the Arizonans who work for them. So moving forward, do you anticipate more aggressive moves from him and why or why not? 
it's possible. He has really stepped up in recent days the number of executive orders he's been putting out and the measures he's been implementing. Just most recently, he put out one, uh, this had been, people were clamoring for this, that was delaying enforcement of eviction orders for renters for the next 120 days. Um, he's also announced some partnerships for childcare, for first responders and other frontline type workers. He's created more reporting requirements for hospitals so that we have a better handle as a state on their staffing, ventilators, beds, so forth, launch a statewide COVID-19 hotline. While the president has showed signs of maybe reconsidering some of these closures and a focus on helping the economy not completely tank, the governor has said over and over that public health to him is more important than the economic impact here. Obviously, he's very concerned about the economic impact, but he said, um, including on a radio appearance Tuesday, that Arizona Arizonans are in for a marathon, not a sprint. Some businesses, especially like restaurants and hotels, well, they're already experiencing pretty severe economic impact. Uh, if people are employed in one of those industries, what are some of the ways that they can find help? Workers who were laid off may qualify for jobless benefits from the state. You can apply for those at azui.com or by calling 602-542-5954. Those are currently capped at $240 a week. That may change. We're waiting to see what happens with those benefits. If you're on the business ownership side, uh, the U.S. Small Business Administration is offering economic injury disaster loans, and there are a few ways to apply for those, including visiting disasterloan.sba.gov slash ELA. Do note that there can be some long load and wait times for that website. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Maria. If listeners have questions for you about the governor's uh, response to this pandemic and his reaction to it, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at mpoletta. That's M-P-O-L-L-E-T-T-A. But the reaction from Governor Doug Ducey is just one piece of the public policy puzzle. There's also the Arizona State Legislature. Andrew, give us a sense of their reaction to the pandemic so far. The state legislature has taken two big steps. They fast-tracked a skinny budget, as they would call it. That's something that will keep the state operational when the fiscal year starts in July. They also passed an economic relief bill worth $50 million dollars. And that's meant to uh, give the governor a few different tools to address some of this early economic fallout. Okay, so let's break that down a little bit, Andrew. Tell us a little bit more about this skinny budget. What was included and what was left on the table? So back up to the beginning of, well, about the middle of March, and there was this growing urgency around getting out of the state capital, being, you know, being able to pass what's necessary to keep the government functioning and then maybe break for a few weeks or I don't know, however long it took. Right. There were members who raised you know, health concerns about showing up to the Capitol every day. I think that there are you know, concerns among staff about having to, to go in every day when there are these uh, recommendations to stay at home, telecommute when possible. So this is really a kind of bare bones budget. This is effectively continuing a lot of what the state government already has in place in its current budget with some adjustments, 
So they voted, for example, to restore some funding for school districts that had been cut in past years. They've been phasing back this funding. Uh, they also included funding for some basic measures like fixing utilities and locks in the state's prison system. That's been a subject of a lot of controversy in the corrections department over the last year. But questions really remain about the kind of budgetary reality that lawmakers are going to face when they return to the state capitol. I mean, tax revenue is bound to have dropped. We had this very abrupt end to the tourism season here in Arizona with, you know, a lot of people canceling flights, canceling conferences, canceling travel. And so you're going to see some really different revenue numbers and much bigger needs in places that uh, policymakers hadn't been expecting, you know, even a month ago. Okay, so beyond the skinny budget, the legislature also approved a $50 million coronavirus relief package. Um, tell us about that. So this was a deal forged in the state Senate. Uh, Senate Democrats and Senate Republicans announced this on Thursday and had a really smooth uh, you know, discussion about it that made pretty clear that just about everyone was on board. And this gives $50 million really to the governor to decide how to use it for a number of different things. He can use it for housing assistance. That can include payments to uh, prevent evictions or foreclosures. He can use it as aid for small businesses with fewer than 50 employees. He can also provide assistance to food banks and shelters that help people who are experiencing homelessness. You know, I think everybody acknowledges that this is likely to just be a first step. This isn't going to be the last that we talk about, you know, the economic consequences of this pandemic, but it gave legislators something to you know, start with. So in addition to the debate over the aid package, Democrats have really been criticizing their Republican colleagues over past actions. The criticisms have centered around previous cuts made by the Republican-controlled legislature that Democrats say have left the states vulnerable even more so during this pandemic. Can you kind of talk about those criticisms and Republican lawmakers' reactions to them? For one thing, you've got a state government that is already smaller than it was before the last recession. Many agencies are already stretched thin. The director of the Department of Health Services, who's been leading the state's response to the coronavirus, was running a whole other department at the same time up until last week when the governor tapped a temporary replacement to take over the Department of Economic Security. You know, Democrats have been talking about how this has put the state in a bad position, in a tough position to respond to something like this. Republicans view Democrats as, as trying to use these debates as a way of advancing policies that Democrats have been pushing for a long time. I mean, look at a debate that took a very, you know, dragged on for quite some time in the House over uh, additional money for the Housing Trust Fund. You know, Democrats wanted something on the order of 30 million or 40 million dollars for the Housing Trust Fund and have been advocating for that level of funding for years. And to be sure, if we're in a recession, there's going to be more demand for affordable housing. But Republicans say that, look, you know, this is trying to take advantage of a crisis. Okay, so 
apart from things like the housing trust fund and uh, other items that you've already discussed, what else can we expect from the legislature in addressing all of this at the moment? So they'll probably need to come back at some point and and really begin to mop up the financial mess. Uh, That's, you know, the tentative date right now is April 13th. They will come back with new budget numbers. That is some better data on what the state's revenues are looking like, how much money they're going to have to work with, and also a better idea of what some of the demands are for state services. So they're going to need to revisit you know, the budget and a lot of what we already have in place. They're also going to face more calls from different parts of government to adjust to kind of a, a life under, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, right? They'll hear more calls probably from the Secretary of State and county officials to let counties run elections by mail, for example. That's one thing that your know, local officials and the secretary have wanted to do, uh, given that you have elections coming up in August and November and some uncertainty about, you know, uh, are people going to feel comfortable going and standing in line to vote? Are they going to have an easy time staffing polling places, that kind of thing? So uh, it's there's going to be a lot of different facets of government that I think uh, legislators are going to want to reassess from here. Thank you so much for breaking that down for us, Andrew. And if our listeners have more questions for you about the state legislature, where can they find you? So I'm on Twitter at Andrew B. Oxford. Okay, listeners, we'll discuss how Congress has responded right after this quick break. Welcome back to The Gaggle, an Arizona politics podcast. So far, we've talked about the state government's response to coronavirus. That includes the reaction from Governor Doug Ducey and the state legislature. But what about our congressional leaders? Well, there's, as always, no shortage of things to talk about there. Um, let's start with our senators, Yvonne. Uh, Republican Martha McSally and Democrat Kirsten Sinema. Um, you talked to Sinema lately and were on a town hall uh, with both of them also. What can you tell us about what we've heard from them so far? So McSally has spent a lot of time praising Governor Doug Ducey for his responses and talking a lot about the need for people to really socially distance themselves for others in order to to really stop the spread. At times, she's really tried to adopt a more kind of comforting tone and a very, um, you know, pragmatic, I guess, approach towards trying to combat this epidemic. The coronavirus is a real threat facing Arizona and our country, causing a lot of uncertainty and fear. This is understandable, but we are not helpless. And it has been at times a a very notable tonal shift from her. She's usually very, very aggressive and partisan in her um, media appearances and even in her floor speeches. While we've seen some of that from her throughout this pandemic crisis, we haven't seen as much of it as we would probably see in a day-to-day kind of typical Uh, time as she enters a pretty tough path towards election in November. Okay, so as always, there's a flip side with Arizona's senators. Uh, Tell us about what we've heard from Senator Sinema. 
Yeah, so Senator Cinema isn't one to name names. She really prides herself on working with politicians from both sides of the aisles. And so in order to do so, and in order to be productive, she doesn't take swings at people, at least if she doesn't think that they're not necessary. But when I talked to her last week, she was really riled up. She feels very strongly that Governor Doug Ducey isn't acting fast enough to protect people. What do you say to those uh, who say that your criticism is motivated or could be motivated by politics? I would suggest that those people take a look at my history. I'm a cautious person Uh who is careful about making decisions. I'm also not one to pick fights with others. And that is not what I am doing here. What I am doing is trying to save lives. And this is really the only time that I can remember her singling out a specific elected official and calling them to the mat for not doing enough from her view. She's genuinely concerned and it's forcing a change in her rhetoric. And let's be clear about that. You know, Kirsten Cinema has a lot less to lose politically, at least. Um, she's not up for re-election anytime soon. So she's got a little bit more room to speak up against Governor, Governor Ducey, whereas McSally, who owes her Senate seat to him, is running against Mark Kelly in this November. So what's McSally's political motivation for responding to the crisis in this way? And is it working? Well, I don't think that she is going to separate herself from the Trump administration or Republican leadership in any substantive way when it comes to voting for the packages and the priorities that they care most about. What I think she's really trying to do here is to move her favorable numbers in the right direction. There are quite a few people who really just don't like her. They thought that she took too much of an aggressive tone during the 2018 Senate race that she ended up losing. And that's the McSally that people remember. So I think she's kind of in a mode of really trying to um, be the comforting kind of aunt. And so by stepping up her calls and asking people to follow CDC guidelines and not congregate in parks and to really uh, empathize with small business owners and parents and Uh, vulnerable adults who are navigating this very unprecedented time, she might come across as a more likable figure. On the other hand, we have the rest of our congressional delegation. Our representatives are also looking at the federal economic relief packages, and one of them in particular doesn't really like what he sees. Right, so... That's uh, Representative Andy Biggs, the Republican from the Mesa-based district here in the Valley. Um, Andy Biggs is uh, a noted and consistent contrarian, if that is such a thing. Uh, he's not thrilled with some specific aspects of the, the packages that were um, making their way through the Congress. And among his concerns has been the impact of all of this spending, for example, on the national debt. So uh, he's concerned that this may increase inflation, and he's also questioning whether this is going to be targeted in a way to actually make a difference in terms of helping those who need help without just throwing money at people who really don't need it. So could voting against these bills come back to hurt him in any way? 
it seems pretty unlikely uh, if you're being honest about it. He won pretty handily in 2018, and he's got uh, an enormous cash advantage over his Democratic challengers once again. This is a really safe Republican district, and he seems to be in the clear for another two years if he wants it, and so far he does. What about other members of our congressional delegation? Are there any other notable performances thus far? Yeah, so uh, Debbie Lesko, a Republican who represents the West Valley in Congress, she voted against the second one of these uh, packages. She was uh, concerned about how this would impact small businesses. She felt that it didn't do enough to ensure that they would be viable and and held harmless uh, coming out of all of this. Um, one other member who's usually uh, involved in these kinds of contrary votes is Paul Gosar, but he's been in self-quarantine for some period of time. He's out of that by now. He had been exposed to somebody who did test positive for coronavirus and had to sit out uh, a couple of important votes. But he's going to be back to vote uh, on the House floor um, in this round three legislation. So we'll get a look at what his view of these kinds of measures is in the next round. And then there's also Tom O'Halloran. He's a Democrat who represents the uh, northeastern stretch of Arizona. He's in what is uh, a reasonably competitive district. He has challengers in both Democratic and Republican primaries. And uh, he's it's really seen, I think, as one of the more cautious, more reachable members of the delegation. Uh, his vote could go either way, depending on how he views the legislation. Um, he was notable earlier this week for basically taking the side of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in uh, opposing the Senate um, legislation that was being considered in its original form. He was troubled uh, most specifically by the $500 billion that was being uh, set aside for business loans. He felt that that uh, legislation did not include enough oversight to ensure that there wasn't waste. That seems to have been addressed in subsequent versions of the legislation, and we'll see how uh Tom O'Halloran, as well as some other members of the Democratic uh, delegation, react to legislation that they didn't seem to support earlier in the week. Well, I was going to ask you, what about Mr. Budget and Deficit Congressman uh, Dave Schweikert? You know, he has been remarkable for being unremarkable in all of this. He has been on board with the uh, the first two bills that were, went through the Democratic-controlled House and presumably is supportive of the Republican plan uh, that is coming out of the Senate. I am sure that it gives him heartburn uh, to see uh, bills that are going to spend as much money as these ones will. But, you know, like Andy Biggs, he is someone who voted for corporate tax cuts that also had significant adverse impact on the federal debt. Um, and let's be honest, David Schweikert's in a pretty tough election campaign this cycle, so I think the last thing he wants to do is be on the same kind of plank as Andy Biggs. Biggs can probably survive in a very safe Republican district. For David Schweikert, it's tougher in a newly competitive district that is centered in Scottsdale. Well, Gaggle listeners, that is a lot, and that is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Okay, if you're looking for more information on COVID-19, including breaking news, visit coronavirus.azcentral.com. We also have a coronavirus newsletter and a text messaging system. 
you can sign up for those as well. Both are great options to help keep you and your family informed and safe during the pandemic. If you have more questions for us, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. And I'm at Yvonne Winget, W-I-N-G-E-T-T. Today's episode was heroically edited and produced by Katie O'Connell with help from Taylor Seeley and Maritza Dominguez. Audio in today's episode came from MSNBC, CNN, CBS Miami, and ABC 15 Arizona. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.